You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit, that you have revealed yourself and your mercy to us through your Son, Jesus. And we thank you that we have the Bible, that all of Scripture bears witness to him. So we pray now that you would illumine the reading and preaching of your word, that we would be those who do not just hear, but who respond with all of our lives, with obedience and love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Please be seated. Well, I'm uh, so happy to see you on the second Sunday of Advent. Advent means, if you don't know, uh, coming, coming. That's why we've been saying throughout this whole service, come, come, oh, come. And in Advent, what we're doing is really two things. We're first, we're looking back, putting ourselves in the shoes of the Old Testament people of God as they waited and waited for the first coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Lord. So we're looking back. And then what we're doing is we're looking forward. We're joining with all of the saints, both living and dead, and looking forward for that same Lord, that same Messiah, the Lord Jesus, to come again to judge evil, to right wrongs, and to bring shalom. So Advent is a season of waiting for Christ to come, the Christ who came, the Christ who will come again. This particular uh, December, what we're doing together on these Sundays in the next few weeks is we're looking at what's called the Songs of Christmas. Music, of course, um, is a big part of everybody's Christmas celebration. I mean, we love Christmas music. Some of y'all even started listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, which I think should be punishable by law. Um, But Christmas Christmas music, um, I mean, there's some pieces of Christmas music that are just astoundingly beautiful. I mean, some of the most gorgeous, theologically rich pieces of music that have ever been written have been written for the season of Christmas, and we will sing some of those songs. We will hear them tonight at the Lessons and Carol service. We'll sing them in the coming weeks, so there's gorgeous music. There's also Christmas songs that should be locked up and thrown into the bottom of the ocean, like Santa Baby and I Saw Mommy Kissing. What does that even mean? You know, just so confusing, right? None of these songs, though, um, can compete with the four original Christmas songs. The four original songs recorded by Luke in chapters one and two. And these songs are often known by their Latin names, which comes from the first words of these songs written in the Latin Vulgate Bible. And these songs have been cherished by the church for two millennia. Today, we're looking at the first one. It's the song of Zechariah. That's the Benedictus, which means blessed be. Next week, we'll look at Mary's song, which is the Magnificat, which means magnify. And the 18th, we'll look at Simeon's song, which is the Nunc Dimittis, which means now depart. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll look at the angel song, which is the Gloria. These songs have been cherished, memorized, sung, spoken, prayed for two millennia by the saints of God. And they are the original soundtrack of Christmas. And the more that we get into them, more the more they let them get into us, the more our hearts and minds will be formed for the coming of the Christ. So today we're, we're hearing um, Zechariah's song. Um, Mark Meadows is going to read the song itself, which is Luke chapter 1, uh, verses 67 through 79. But if you want to just 
Open your Bibles to Luke 1. I'm actually going to be drawing from the whole story of Zechariah. Um, So let's hear the song from uh, Luke 1. Let's hear God's word. A reading from Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 79. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1966, a Japanese novelist named Shoshuko Endo wrote a pretty famous novel called Silence. Silence. Uh, Actually, Martin Scorsese made it into a pretty famous film starring Adam Driver and Liam Neeson a few years ago. But it's a very powerful story. It takes place in 17th century Japan. And the story is about a young monk named Sebastian Rodriguez who travels to Japan um, to find his mentor, another priest, because he has heard that his mentor has abandoned his faith, has recanted his faith under threat of torture. And so Father Sebastian goes to Japan. He's young, he's brash, he's idealistic, he's hopeful. He goes, you know, on a great mission to find his mentor and convert him back to the faith again. But when he arrives in Japan and begins to travel around, he is absolutely unprepared for what he finds. Because what he finds is unspeakable suffering among the small, persecuted minority Christian community in Japan. He finds and sees and witnesses horrific persecution, brutal, brutal torture, and excruciating death. And his faith is absolutely shattered. And he cries out at one point in the book, while the voices of God's people cry out in anguish, God remains with folded arms silent. God remains with folded arms silent. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever asked yourself that question, why is God silent? Why does God do and say nothing? People of, the people of God have, have asked that question for centuries. And if we really want to understand the power of Zechariah's song, and I would actually say, if you really want to understand the true meaning of Advent, we must reckon with the silence of God. That's what this story of Zechariah is about. But not only the silence of God, ultimately, Advent is about claiming in faith the answer of God, that God in the end does hear, does remember, and does always fulfill his promise. 
So I just want to look at two, two simple things with you this morning. First, the silence of God, and then the answer of God. All right? You all with me on that? Okay, first. So first, let's look at the silence of God. And I want to give you a little bit of context for this passage. Um, I want you to think hundreds of years before Zechariah, there was a prophet in Israel, and his name was Malachi. Anybody ever heard of Malachi? Malachi is actually the last book in the Bible. And Malachi lived in a time when God's people were in a desperate situation and they needed hope. And so what Malachi did is he prophesied to God's people and he promised that deliverance is going to come. And this is what he said. This is actually the last words of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It says this, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. Now, that's how the Old Testament ends, the end, right? (laughs) Now, it's kind of weird, and it was confusing at the time because Elijah had been dead for hundreds of years. And so nobody really knows what God is talking about. But what they do know is that in their desperate state, God has made a promise. He's made a promise to them that he hears them, that he sees them, that he will come for them, and that one day a great prophet will rise up, whether Elijah or someone like him, and that he will prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Messiah, to finally redeem and save God's people. So they had the promise from God, and they waited, and they waited, and they waited, and nothing happened for 400 years. That's the time between the Old and New Testament. Did you know that? It's only one page in your Bible, but that's, that's 400 years they waited with not a word, no prophet, no visit, no angels, not a word, not a peep, not a sign from God, total silence for 400 years. Could you wait that long for something? Could you wait that long? You know, the other day on the phone, they put me on hold and the automated voice told me I had to wait 27 minutes. 27 minutes! Thought I was going to go crazy, but 400 years, 400 years, without a word, without a peep, God remains with folded arms, silent. Okay, let's fast forward. 400 years later, we meet a guy named Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. Every day, a priest is chosen to burn incense in the temple for the daily sacrifices on this particular day. Zechariah's name is drawn. There were 20,000 priests in Israel, so this was a really big deal, probably only a once-in-a-lifetime thing. The other thing we know about Zechariah is he's married to Elizabeth, and Luke says that in verse 7 that they are well advanced in years. So they must have been at least 50, right? Very advanced in years. You know, that was, you're almost dead back then. (laughs) And, And it says, and this is really key, it says that they were barren and childless, which you may know in the ancient world is a mark of tremendous shame. It's a sign of the curse of God. And so here's, I just want you to put yourself in Zechariah's shoes. On the, on the morning that he goes into the temple, he is a man who has known intimately the silence of God. He has waited along with God's people for years and years and years through the silence of God, waiting through long years of suffering and torment and subjugation of God's people, waiting for God to answer. And along with his wife, Elizabeth, he has waited and waited for decades, waiting for a child, waiting in the midst of so much shame and condemnation and fear. This is a man that has learned 
how to wait in the silence of God. And yet God remains with folded arms, silent. So my first simple point is this, fam, is that this is how Luke begins with the Christmas story. Advent begins with the silence of God. Now, there's a great turn, of course, a great announcement that's coming. But the reason that announcement is so wonderful is because it comes after such prolonged silence. It's part of being a Christian, part of being human, I would say, that we often experience what feels like terrible silence from God. Have you felt that silence? You know, maybe like, maybe you have felt like the exiles in, in, in Israel and you feel just trapped in this terrible situation and God appears to do nothing. Or maybe like Elizabeth and Zechariah, you have prayed and prayed for something, like maybe a pregnancy, maybe marriage, maybe for a healing or relief from pain, maybe for the restoration of a relationship or the return of a child to the Lord or to you. And God does nothing. There is no answer from heaven, not a word, not a peep. Or maybe you just kind of look out on the world and you see all this unrelenting violence and the injustice and the evil and the oppression and the constant triumph of the wicked and the destruction of the innocent. And you wonder, what is, what is God doing? Is anybody even up there? Why is God silent? And I want you to see, brothers and sisters, that Advent is the season to get in touch with those feelings. It's the time to be honest about those places in your life that you feel are unfinished, those places of confusion and distress and fear where you long for God to act. You long for God to do something. This is why we sing these songs like, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile. Here, you hear the Advent cry? Do you hear the longing? See, we all, all of us carry longings, prayers, desires like that within each of our hearts. And often all we can do with them is wait. Wait in the face of God's apparent silence. And yet, it is in that waiting that we are being formed. Simone Weil, the great 20th century Christian mystic, she wrote this, waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. There are gifts that you can only receive in the waiting. The waiting teaches us faith. For as John Calvin said, what place is there for faith if God immediately gives what he promises in waiting, we learn humility. We learn that we cannot make things happen on our own. We're out of control. In waiting, we learn patience. As Paul says in Romans 8, if we hope for what we do not yet see, we wait for it with patience. It is in the waiting that God forms us as his people. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said that people who are satisfied, content, and perfectly happy with their lives, those are the people who completely miss the gospel because they do not know what it means to wait and they do not know what it means to long for the Lord to come. So it is those who wait, those who get in touch with their deep longings, those places of pain where God appears to be silent. For them, the promise of Christmas is truly wonderful. So Advent begins with silence, silence of God. But second, there's the answer of God. Let's go back to Zechariah. Zechariah enters the temple, and you may know what happens. He expects to just do his normal thing that a priest is supposed to do, and suddenly there's an angel, Gabriel. Again, the first 
anything from God for over 400 years. And the angel says in verse 13 of chapter one, don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Your prayers for a child, your prayers for deliverance, your prayers for the rescue of your people after so many centuries of apparent indifference from God. God has heard you, God has seen you, and now God is answering. And Gabriel tells Zechariah that he and Elizabeth will have a son, despite the fact that they're very old, and that son will be the prophet that Malachi promised all those years ago, who will be the one who prepares the way for the Lord himself, the Messiah of God to come and heal and redeem God's people. And Zechariah is in shock. Like he, he, I mean, he can barely believe this is even happening. And so he asks you, could you give me some kind of sign or something? I mean, so those people out there will believe me? And Gabriel is clearly offended by this. He's like, dude, I'm Gabriel. What more do you need? And he says, I'll give you a sign. Bam, you're silent, ironically. You're silent. From now in the time that John, your son is born, you cannot speak. And so just as God's people waited for silence for 400 years, for God to speak. Now Zechariah waits in silence for nine months for his child to be born. And finally, the day comes. The day comes and it's time for John to be circumcised on the eighth day. And as Zechariah uh, writes the, the name that his son should be called on a tablet, his tongue is loosened and his vocal cords are opened. I'm not sure how that happened. And he is able to speak. And what's the first thing that he does? He sings. I mean, he's got nine months to work on this thing, right? And what does he say? He sings, Benedictus, blessed be God. He is so full of overwhelming praise that the Lord has heard and answered the long cries of his people. He looks back and he blesses God. He says, you visited us. You've redeemed us. You showed up in strength for us. You've remembered your promises. You've done what you said you would do. And then he looks at his boy, John holding him in his arms and he says, you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High that Malachi promised. And you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for the Messiah. And that one, the Lord will show salvation. He will forgive our sin. He will visit us with mercy. He will give light to our darkness. He will guide our feet in the way of peace. Though Zechariah cannot in any way fully understand what God is about to do through Jesus, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that after all that waiting, all that praying, all that longing, all that silence, God has answered. He's answered. The Messiah has come. The ancient promises are fulfilled. God has listened. God has remembered. God has made good on his word. Y'all, here's my second simple point. Advent, yes, is about waiting in the face of God's apparent silence. But as Christians even as we wonder where God is, even as we bang on the doors of heaven, even as we vocalize our profound doubts and fears, we always wait with the certain hope that God hears us, God remembers us, and God will indeed answer. Zechariah's song of faith that reminds us that even in apparent silence, God is quietly at work to fulfill his promises, even though most of the time you will never see how or in what way but he's working. The silence of God never means the absence of God. God is often operating on a very different timetable than you are. What is a long time to us is an instant to God. And what feels like delay is no delay at all. 
to him. What feels like dumb and pointless waiting to us can actually be the way that God in his mysterious purposes is working out his plan for your life in the world. So the silence of God never means the absence of God. And if you want proof of that, think of this, that in the place of the most horrible silence of all, as Jesus Christ hung on the cross and he is mocked and accused as literally the God-forsaken one, in that moment of horrific silence when God does nothing, God is actually doing the most mighty and powerful work. So being Advent people means, yes, being people who wait, but it means that we wait with a certain hope that even in the silence, God is coming. He's coming for you. God hears, God remembers, God keeps his word. The name Zechariah, by the way, means God remembers. God remembers. His name speaks of the God who hears your desperate prayers, the God who remembers you even when you feel like you're forgotten, and the God who always keeps his promise to you no matter what. And so here's what I want to say to you, my dear family. Um, Whatever your personal darkness is, wherever you feel the silence of God in your life right now, whatever the situation is in your life where you feel fear, worry, and complete confusion, it is in those very places that God is coming for you. His promises to never abandon you, that he hears you, that he sees you, and that his promise is to come and bring his light into your darkness. Advent is not the time for you to numb your pain and bury your head in the sand and distract yourself through parties and alcohol. Advent is the season for you to stand up and watch, hopefully looking and waiting for God to come and redeem, to bring his light into your dark. So here's an Advent practice that I want to commend to you. We're trying to commend practices to you week by week. As God often waits in silence to act, so we often wait in silence for God. This is the verse that I've kind of claimed as my Advent verse this year. Uh, Maybe you would claim it with me. In fact, let's just read it together. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. My hope comes from him. You know, Zechariah's silence, though in some ways a punishment, was also a gift because it gave him space to ponder the faithfulness of God. And it actually gave him some great space to be an artist and create. Silence is often considered to be a vital practice of Advent. Um, Think of all the songs we sing. Let all mortal flesh keep silent. Silent night, holy night. In silence, we have space to get in touch with our deep yearnings for God, those places where we long for God to come. Yet often the noise keeps us out of touch with those places. Ruth Haley Barton often says that you are like a jar of river water all shaken up. Can you imagine that? A jar of river water all shaken up. And what you need is to sit still long enough so that the sediment can settle and the water can be clear. And when we slow down and we turn the noises off and we sit in silence, the sediment of our souls can finally settle and we can let go of our desperate attempts to control our lives and we can simply surrender to God. So try this. I know this is a super noisy season, which is fun, right? But if you're not careful, you will miss the silent voice of God. So look for ways to practice silence in the coming weeks. You might start each day of Advent with two minutes of silence sitting in God's presence. 
Try going on a long walk and just observing and receiving what God gives you. And do not bring your phone to Instagram the walk. Um, just go. Uh, try out a silent retreat. Find an empty church sanctuary and just sit in silence. And I want to close with just a simple exercise now. So if you're comfortable, just want you to close your eyes and maybe put your hands in your lap, palms open. And what I'd love to invite you to do is just think of one situation in your life where it feels like God is silent, where you long for God to do something. Is there a place in your life that feels hopeless? A situation in your life that fills you with confusion and dread, fear and distress, where you long for God to act? Can you just sit with that for a moment, not analyzing it, not telling God what God should do, but simply holding that situation before him? It is in that very place, that place of emptiness, that place of darkness, that place of silence, it is in that very place that Christ will come. He will come and bring his light. So would you say these words quietly with me? For you alone, my soul waits in silence. My hope is in you. For you alone, O Lord, our soul waits in silence. Our hope is in you and you alone. As you came for us once in Christ, would you come for us again? We wait for you. Amen.